Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. It's census time again. Every 10 years, the federal government's Census Bureau tracks how many people live in the country. Coming up, we find out why, including what's at stake if states like Connecticut don't get an accurate count. And later, we'll hear from Lieutenant Governor Susan Beisowitz about outreach efforts. Jay Williams will also join us. He's president of the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. We'll find out why his foundation has pitched in half a million dollars towards the census count in Connecticut. You can join our conversation to 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. So how soon before you can expect to get a census survey in your mailbox? Joining me now uh, from NPR's New York studio is Hansi Lo Wong, NPR national correspondent covering the 2020 census. Hansi, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Lucy. Uh, many of us have heard of the census where, again, residents are counted every 10 years. But we wanted to just go back and, and find out, again, why um, the, the government counts every 10 years. How far back uh, has the census uh, gone, Hansi? This has happened every 10 years, ever since 1790. That was the very first U.S. census. This is a requirement of the U.S. Constitution. If you actually were to take a look at the language of the Constitution, it's mentioned in the sixth sentence. It's mentioned before any mention of a president, any mention of voting. Uh, the federal government, the framers of the Constitution, wanted to do a headcount of every person living in the country. And ultimately, this is about money and this is about power. Uh, You mentioned ultimately about money and power. So talk us through uh, the ways this data will be used, uh, starting with congressional seats. Well, the Constitution says these numbers are used to determine how many congressional seats each state gets. We have to determine that, uh, distribute that uh, in, a, in a fair way, according to the Constitution, based on the population count. And so uh, depending on the size of your state and depending on the size of other states, that's how they, it's called the reapportionment process, redetermining uh, the distribution of congressional seats, which then also directly relates to the number of electoral college votes each state gets uh, during presidential elections. Uh, When we think about uh, the type of federal dollars that go into communities, uh, can you walk us through some of, uh, again, looking at census data, uh, you know, how that impacts states like Connecticut? Sure. This is the money part of the power Mm -hmm. and money. And when we're talking about money, we're talking about an estimated more than $1.5 trillion, that's with a T, a year in federal funding, uh, mainly for Medicare, Medicaid, uh, as well as other federal uh, grants and programs for schools, for roads, uh, any public service just about you can think of, you name it. Census data are used to help determine the distribution of that federal funding to states and to local communities. And that $1.5 trillion a year, that's an estimate by researchers at George Washington University. They've been looking into different grants and programs. And really, if you take a look at it, it's fairly extensive. 
You can join our conversa- conversation, especially if you have a question about the 2020 census, the number 888-720-9677. I'm talking with Hansi Lo Wong, NPR national correspondent, correspondent covering the 2020 census. I mentioned, Hansi, that uh, many of us will be getting these census surveys in the mail. Um, how soon will that st- be? And what's what's new this year or this uh, this decennial with the census in terms of how the government will be getting the information? Well, one thing that's really important to point out that's new is that not, not every household, as in previous censuses, will get a paper form. This will be very different. Uh, around March 12th, that is when just about every household in the country will get a mailing, a, a letter from the Census Bureau. Some of them will include a paper form, but most of them will just include instructions on how to do the census online, a link to a website as well as an ID to enter into uh, onto the website, as well as instructions for a 1-800 number you can call. This is a new change uh, because the census uh, in 2020 is trying to be primarily online, partly for funding considerations. It's a lot cheaper to do it online, uh, as well as to keep up with the times. The Census Bureau has been trying for years to try to do this online to make make it a more efficient process to get the data uh, in a much quicker fashion. Uh, But this does raise a lot of concerns amongst people who are are worried about cybersecurity. This is the first time the federal government has tried to roll out such a massive program like this to try to get uh, just about every household in the country uh, participating uh, online is is a really big ask uh, for IT infrastructure. It also uh, raises concerns about uh, uh, possible onslaught of misinformation and disinformation from internet trolls and foreign Governments uh, who, uh, just like with the 2016 election, may see this as a, a prime target, the 2020 census, because it does have implications on 10 years worth of elections. Mm. Uh, tell us that when you mentioned you know, implications and concerns about cybersecurity, so how has the Census Bureau, how has the federal government tried to allay those concerns, uh, especially that misinformation that may be out there? Sure. I, and I think, think I forgot to answer one part of your earlier question. Around March 12th uh, is when most Oh, yes, you did say that. <laughs> okay, great. Just want to make sure that gets out there. The Census Bureau is very aware that these are possible risks, these cybersecurity concerns, and they have been trying to work with high-tech companies, social media companies, uh, Facebook, Google, Twitter, and um, various companies have put out different types of policy to try to uh, curtail possible uh, spread of misinformation and disinformation. We'll see how that works. We'll see if those policies are enforced going forward. Uh, They're also working, uh, the Census Bureau says, uh, with uh, Homeland Security, other law enforcement agencies just to make sure uh, that their IT infrastructure and that they have uh, eyes and ears uh, all over to make sure that if anything does take place, they can respond in 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 a fast fashion. But this is going to be an unprecedented effort. So we'll see how this turns out. You mentioned uh, putting the 2020 census uh, online uh, cheaper and efficient uh, for the federal government. But what about communities uh, that aren't that don't have access to the Internet, especially when we think about communities that are traditionally undercounted, Hansi? Right. And that is why the Census Bureau does is sending out paper forms to some households. About a quarter of households around the country will get paper forms in that first mailing coming out around March 12th. And these are in uh, these households are in areas uh, that the Census Bureau has determined have low Internet subscription rates and uh, also areas that are very remote, very hard to get to. Uh, those households are not going to get uh, necessarily paper forms, but going to get in-person visits. Uh, in about two weeks, I'm going to go to 
to Alaska, remote Alaska, uh, to a, a village、uh, called Tuxuk Bay. That is where the census is officially starting on January twenty first.、Uh, the remote parts of Alaska are always counted first ever since Alaska became a state because it is just so hard、uh, to get there and to make sure every person living in those communities,、uh, every person is counted. And so、uh, there are special、uh, procedures in place to make sure those communities are counted. But it is a, a historical challenge、uh, that communities of color,、uh, rural communities, renters.、Uh, it is a long list of groups、uh, that are undercounted historically by the federal government. When we think about、uh, the people going to、uh, these doors of、uh, a residence, including starting in Alaska and then、uh, even around Connecticut, these are traditionally called census takers. What do we know, Hansi, about、uh, how many people that have been hired, and is it challenging to find people to want to do this? Well, the hiring for these census takers, the Census Bureau calls them enumerators.、Uh, they that has not really started in earnest until、uh, right around now. This is the month when the Census Bureau says they are really ramping up hiring. So we'll have to look at the numbers,、uh, the the job numbers,、uh, at the beginning of February to get a sense of exactly how many enumerators have been hired, how that's going. Because the Census Bureau has a really big goal here: about a half million census workers, specifically to do that door knocking. That's what the Census Bureau is trying to. Uh, trying to meet that goal by, by spring,、uh, by April and May, when door knockers need to start going out to those households that do not respond to the census themselves. And it's a it's a big challenge because unemployment is at record lows right now across the country. We're already seeing signs and. Earlier waves of census workers for early operations. The census bureau already ran into a lot of trouble in some parts of the country because the hourly pay rates were not competitive enough to attract qualified candidates. There also were lots of concerns about screening and processing background checks and a lot of delays there. And so the census bureau has a lot of hurdles to clear to hire again a half million workers. It's a lot. Uh, I was surprised to see a release from the Census Bureau、uh, late last week that in the Hartford, New Haven areas here in Connecticut,、uh, census takers or enumerators will be paid twenty-three dollars an hour.、Um, talk a little bit about、uh, the pay、uh, that these enumerators get. Is this an incentive for, in some areas to help get those undercounted areas? Certainly, the Census Bureau hopes it is an incentive, and they are increasing the pay rates in some parts of the country in order to attract、uh, more applicants. And、uh, this is a really big deal because census workers, these census workers, these door knockers, are essential to reaching out to those households that will not. Fill out a paper form if they happen to get one, or go to a website, fill it out, or call a one eight hundred number. There are a lot of households. About forty percent of households, the census bureau does not expect to respond themselves,、mm-hmm. and so to、uh, not have enough workers to reach、uh, these households and knock on those doors, we may not get a count of a substantial number of households, and they are disproportionately community in communities of color. I'm talking with Hansi Lo Wang, NPR national correspondent, who's covering the 2020 census. Coming up, we're going to learn more about efforts here in Connecticut to get an accurate count. But Hansi, I wanted to talk with you uh, about uh, you know what people that may、uh, not feel comfortable filling out the census.、Uh, much of that uh, uh, going back to the Trump administration trying to put a citizenship question on the census. Where does that stand today? 
There will not be a citizenship question on the forms for the 2020 census. The reason for that is that three federal courts have permanently blocked the Trump administration from adding such a question to the forms. And those rulings uh, were upheld by the lower court rulings upheld by the U.S. Supreme Court. And so no citizenship question. But there is still a lot of fear in this climate of increased immigration enforcement and a lot of anti-immigrant rhetoric, a lot of folks concerned, despite federal law. Federal law says that the data that the Census Bureau collects, data identifying individuals, cannot be released by the Census Bureau until 72 years after that data is are collected. And so there are very strict uh, laws to protect the confidentiality of the census information. The Census Bureau cannot even release this data identifying individuals to other federal agencies. Uh, it cannot be used, uh, the Census Bureau says, for law enforcement purposes. But the question is, is whether or not members of the public will trust that this administration will uphold those laws and then there will not be any misuse of this data. You've reported on the Census Bureau uh, studying uh, whether or not uh, people are impacted, especially communities of color, thinking about that citizenship question, even though it's not going to be on the census. What has the Census Bureau found in terms of uh, people likely in these communities to want to participate? Well, this was a very complicated study, and it also took place in the middle uh, of the summer, uh, right in the midst of this heated, heated legal battle over the citizenship question. When before it started, before we had any final word on what would happen to this citizenship question, so lots of caveats to uh, possible takeaways from this study. Uh, but it is the first study the Census Bureau has done on public reaction, and it found that. Overall, self-response rates have little, there's a little impact uh, likely uh, on, there there would be little impact likely on the self-response rates if there were a citizenship question on the 2020 census. However, the Census Bureau did find, if you were to look more closely and dig a little deeper into the data, that there are signs that specifically Latinx communities, uh, communities where English is a second language, some Asian American communities, in some parts of the country, there would have been likely uh, an effect it would likely would have lowered self-response rates, That a citizenship question. Uh, before we let you go, Hansi, uh, in Connecticut, uh, they're actually uh, facing a, a lawsuit by the NAACP with uh, uh, something called prison gerrymandering. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, how the census impacts uh, this particular suit. Well, the census counts every person living in the country, and that includes prisoners. And the big question is, where are prisoners counted? Are they counted where they're from? Are they counted where they're incarcerated? And ever since the very first census, 1790, prisoners, incarcerated people have been counted where they're incarcerated. And since the rise uh, of the number of prisoners in the U.S. uh, criminal justice system, uh, this has... uh, created uh, an issue in prison towns where there are voting districts made up predominantly of prisoners who cannot vote. And that's what critics call prison gerrymandering. And in Connecticut, the NAACP has filed a lawsuit uh, to challenge the the political maps drawn after the 2010 census, uh, arguing that because prisoner counts uh, were used, and these are prisoner counts uh, in prison towns were used, that those maps are unconstitutional um, and should be thrown out. And we'll see uh, where that how that plays out in the coming months. In June is when there will be oral arguments. Mm. I, I imagine this is a, a practice in other states as well. Uh, do we know if other suits have been filed? 
As far as I know, that is the only current lawsuit, as far as I know. Uh, but there are a number of states uh, where there are a number of bills in state houses uh, trying to pass laws to try to change how the state and local governments use census numbers to reallocate prisoner numbers from where they're incarcerated to where prisoners, their last home addresses were before they're incarcerated, strictly for redistricting at the state and local level. Uh, Hansa, you mentioned you're going to be heading to Alaska uh, soon, uh, again, where enumerators are going to be starting uh, census efforts. Uh, but over the next uh, few months, uh, what will you be watching for in terms of how uh, the count's going? I will be watching to see if the Census Bureau can hire that half million workers it needs uh, to carry out its operations as planned. I'll be watching to see uh, possible cybersecurity issues and how the public will react. Uh, and also be interesting to see how people react to the questions. Uh, there will be, you know, always the, one of the most uh, controversial and, and, and thought-provoking questions are the questions about race mm -hmm. and ethnicity. And there are going to be some changes to the race question. Uh, for the first time, anyone marking off the white and or black box for the race question will be asked to write in their non-Hispanic origins. It'll be the first time the Census Bureau uh, has done that on, in the context of a race question. It's bound to spark a lot of conversation about race, racial identity, and uh, that will be something I'll be watching in the coming months. Hansi Lo Wong, again, is NPR national correspondent who covers the 2020 census. Hansi, good luck in Alaska. Thank you very much. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Now, if you have a question about the 2020 census, specifically here in Connecticut, uh, we'll give you the number, 888-720-9677. We'll be talking about outreach efforts uh, on the ground here in our state, and we'll be hearing from the lieutenant governor coming up. Uh, again, this is where we live, and you can join us, 888-720-9677. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Now, after the 2010 census, officials say black and Hispanic residents in the United States were undercounted by over 3 million. That matters because without an accurate census count, the federal government won't allocate money to communities based on population. The Connecticut Mirror reported nearly 25 percent of the state's census tracts are considered hard to count. So what's Connecticut doing to make sure its neighborhoods, especially in its cities, are not undercounted? Uh, joining me now in studio is Jay Williams, president of the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. Uh, Jay's going to help answer that question and more. Jay, welcome back. Good morning, Lucy. Thank you for having me. Also here with us is Joan Cruz, director of special projects for the Hispanic Health Council. Joan, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. So, uh, Jay, you've been on before to talk about your role as a leader of the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, again, a major uh, philanthropy in the greater Hartford area. Uh, so why are you involved in the census? We are involved in the census because we believe that in our role as a community foundation, we have an obligation to continue to try to provide resources in leadership to nonprofit organizations who are serving citizens uh, throughout the region, the 29-town region that we serve, specifically as it relates to civic engagement. Uh, and because of the importance of the census uh, and our efforts on trying to reduce the disparities and the inequities that exist in this community, uh, we find ourselves uh, appropriating resources, uh, efforts, and the tools that we have at our disposal to try to ensure uh, that there's an accurate and complete count uh, across the state of Connecticut. You're contributing resources, about half a million dollars towards this effort? So yes, the most recent half a million dollars was actually a collaborative effort between uh, a number of community foundations that include New Britain, uh, New Haven, Waterbury, Fairfield, 
uh, an Eastern Connecticut Community Foundation. So collectively, uh, we put a half a million dollars on the table to challenge the state uh, to provide additional resources, and that's in addition to uh, the three or four hundred thousand dollars that we had previously allocated. Uh, to this effort. You mentioned you're challenging the state. Uh, uh, Other states are putting uh, plenty of resources uh, to make sure they have an accurate count. Uh, Hartford Foundation for Public Giving put in 500. The state is now matching that, another 500,000. But that's only a million dollars. That seems fairly low when you think about the population of Connecticut. We believe it's inadequate. I certainly want to acknowledge the state and the leadership of Lieutenant Governor Beisowitz in terms of helping to pull together the half a million dollars. So acknowledging that, but also saying it is insufficient. Uh, There are best practices that have been uh, alluded to that say about a dollar per citizen uh, would provide adequate resources, which would put uh, Connecticut's target at about $3.57 million. So the fact that the state has put up a half a million dollars should be acknowledged. And and Lieutenant Governor Lieutenant Governor Bysowitz, uh, you know, did a significant job in terms of cobbling that together, uh, but it is still inadequate if you look at the states around us uh, and understand the context of the importance of about $10 billion. So it seems like a very small investment to ensure that $10 plus billion continues to come into the state of Connecticut. Uh, the state, again, putting in 500000 but uh, inadequate, as you say, uh, Jay Williams. Uh, Joan Cruz, uh, you're again with Hispanic Health Council, the Director of Special Projects. Uh, so organizations like yours are really doing the footwork, so to speak, uh, to make sure that these undercounted areas um, are represented in this census. Tell us about how you're doing that. So the Hispanic Health Council has a track record of engaging community members in different activities, civic engagement activities, and we're using our experience to go out on the streets, to go out uh, and reach out the hard-to-reach population so they are not afraid of completing the census, that there are resources, that there are ways to complete the census, and that they can trust us in providing that information and assistance completing the census. Give us an idea when I mentioned this statistic about uh, 25% of the state's census tracts are considered hard to count. So are these primarily in urban areas of the state or the rural communities? Can you give us an idea of what that means? Uh, based on the information, it's in more in the uh, rural communities, but mm-hmm. also we have different pockets in the cities that we have homeless populations that they are elsewhere mm-hmm. and they are hard to reach populations as well. So those are hard to reach uh, uh, communities, especially communities of colors and Latino communities. Uh, Tell us about the the challenges, again, uh, with there being misinformation or distrust, uh, a lot of attention on that citizenship question that won't be on the census, but still people are a little bit worried about um, giving information to these uh, census workers. So talk talk through some of what um, the Hispanic Health Council and others, what you're encountering when you talk uh, to residents about their fears. Well, one of the things is like the citizenship question, even though it's not going to be on the census, uh, is still in the back of their heads, even in in my head, uh, because I don't want to complete that 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 the census, given the fact that even though it's not there, it can affect me in a later future. So our role is to uh, educate the community and ensuring that that question is not going to be there, that it's not going to affect their status, and it's going to be safe, and they can complete it uh, at any time and at any point. Uh, But it's very important for us, um, the Hispanic Health Council, to educate our community that it is important to complete the census uh, so we can be counted. Mm -hmm. And what about this idea of there uh, being a digital divide? We heard this national reporter saying for for the first time, uh, many people can just go online and fill it out. Well, that's great for people who have access to the Internet. 
that's great for millennials. That's fantastic for them. They can go they can go ahead and do it. But we still have uh, uh, community members that they don't have access to technologies. That's why at the Hispanic Health Council, we're planning to have a kiosk. We are planning to have uh, uh, availability and accessibility to technology so people can complete their census on our site and they are not afraid where they feel safe and secure, but also that there are other alternatives that they can do paper, work, paper or any other. Uh, by phone. You can join our conversation, especially if you have a question about uh, the 2020 census, the number 888-720-9677. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Where We Live. I wanted to go back to Jay Williams, president of the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. Uh, so we uh, let our listeners know that right now, uh, efforts to get an accurate uh, census count in Connecticut is underfunded when you think about, again, the recommendation that a dollar per resident uh, should be spent. Uh, and so you also have a unique perspective because uh, uh, before you came here, you worked for the Commerce Department, which I believe oversees the census. So maybe you could explain further, you know, why this matters when we're thinking about the amount of federal money that Absolutely. comes into communities. So I did have that perspective, and I joined the Obama administration in 2011, and I actually headed up one of the agencies at the Department of Commerce uh, since 2014. And one of my colleagues was John Thompson, who was the former director of the census. So on a regular basis, I had the opportunity to sit with him and to begin to understand the preparations for the 2020 census, which started many, many years ago. Uh, and even then, there were concerns about the resources that were going to be allocated. There were concerns about how to ensure the cybersecurity issues were addressed. And uh, the work that was put in place then uh, some of that work has continued, but unfortunately what we've seen is there has been uh, not as many resources allocated to the census uh, under the current administration. So that is a significant concern, uh, having seen firsthand all the preparation that went into the census over the past several years. And I also want to go back and just underscore a point that Joan made when she talked about that issue of trust, uh, the notion of getting people to divulge uh, what can be considered you know, pretty important information, sensitive information to a federal government, particularly in light of the rhetoric that we're hearing uh, in over the past couple of years, uh, is a very significant challenge, which is why it is all the more important to make sure that there are adequate financial resources. Uh, she also made a point about, you both made a point about the digital divide. Uh, where we sit today, there are within minutes of here, just a very few minutes of here, uh, segments of the city of Hartford that don't have wide spread broadband access. So this isn't something that is just touching the corners of the state. Here in the city of Hartford, there are places that don't have that access. So all the more reason why it's important not only to have the financial resources, but to have organizations such as the Hispanic Health Council and others who have that trust, who have that relationship, who have that history in connecting and engaging the community. Uh, your organization is uh, a lot of, of organizations depend on the Hartford Foundation for public giving, especially when we see uh, the state government, uh, again, uh, diminishing funding for social service programs and ways to support communities. So when we think about federal dollars coming in, uh, these are impacting uh, programs like uh, the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program or highway infrastructure, which we hear all about uh, coming from the Capitol, Section 8 vouchers. Uh, give us some other ideas. Of, of where this money, why it's important to make sure we count everyone who's living in a community, Joan. 
It is so important. Um, when I asked, uh, we asked, um, we didn't, we conducted an assessment with some community members on how uh, to reach them. We know how to reach them, but we wanted to know their sense and their pulse and uh, what tar- what uh, strategies we should use. And believe it or not, there's still people that they don't know that they have to complete the census 20, t- 2020 and they don't know how, th- how important it is to complete it, that how it is, when it's going to be at, and the resources and the financial support from the Hartford Foundation is very important for us so we can go out and we can educate our community. So they are counted. So that misconception, I don't know when it's going to be, when it's going to be, what do I have to do, that's still there. Uh, so for people who don't have access, are you uh, encouraging them to go to libraries to, to fill out the census? Or I'm just curious. So we do have a range of programs and services, and we go to the communities. We go to homes. So we bring that information to them, but they, we are also asking them to come to our doors So in a place that they feel comfortable doing it, and that they can come in. We can call the census. They can either help uh, connect online, and we will be there to assist them. Lucy, it's also important not only for the programs that you just referred to, the public programs of health and transportation and infrastructure, but it's also important from the private sector. Businesses make investment decisions uh, that are informed by accurate census data. So as the state seeks to become more economically competitive, as the state seeks to attract more private investment from those businesses, it's equally important that that accurate count be available because when those businesses make those decisions, we don't want them making decisions as a state uh, on inaccurate data or not understanding the full uh, opportunities that exist in the state. So there are multiple reasons both on the public and private sector to have a complete and accurate count. Jay Williams is president of the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. In studio with me, also Joan Cruz, director of special projects for the Hispanic Health Council. As we talk more about efforts to get an accurate census count here in Connecticut, you can join our conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-9677. Or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. We got an interesting question on a Twitter uh, uh, it says young children are often one of the most undercounted groups in the census. So what's Connecticut doing to reach this specific group? I'll start with uh, Joan Cruz. That's a very good question. Um, for example, I have a mom that is an immigrant and has she has two child, three children, plus she's pregnant. How do you count them? So we go out. They are part of our programs. We want to make sure that they are counted. Why? Because 10 years from now, all the resources that are allocated will be affecting that particular family and all the families that we serve. So, yes, we are going to make sure we at the Hispanic Health Council will make sure that families that come through our doors that are serving our, uh, in our programs are counted and have completed the census. 2020. Uh, go ahead, Jay. And what we're trying to do is support organizations like the Hispanic Health Council and so many others across our region because we are primarily a funder and a convener. Uh, the work that is being done, the trust that is being established uh, on the ground, knocking on those doors, really happens through uh, the nonprofit organization. So uh, the Nonprofit Alliance is hosting a series of discussions and forums across the state uh, working with nonprofit organizations and particularly uh, helping to focus on the issue that we just talked about of making sure that young children are counted. And the Hartford Foundation will be hosting one of those discussions uh, at our office on January 29th. And, and really, it's it's helping to bolster and make sure that the resources and the tools are available to organizations such as Jones. 
Uh, you made the point earlier, Jay, that uh, you know private sector also depends on uh, knowing what the accurate population count is because they're the ones also investing in communities and they make the decisions uh, when they look at those numbers. Uh, but we're also thinking about um, you know nonprofits and universities, uh, thinking about uh, research dollars, and so I'm just curious when uh, there's been talk about uh, supporting an accurate census count, are all the stakeholders uh, you know at the table or do, is there more uh, need for people to collaborate because there's we're talking about billions of dollars here. Nancy, uh, Lucy, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, there is always a greater need for collaboration. I We cannot overstate the importance of this. There is one shot that we have for the next decade to ensure that we get this right. Uh, and the 10 plus billion dollars, you'd be hard pressed to find an area of our lives and living that aren't impacted by uh, the census, whether it comes to the funding for the programs or whether it comes to the congressional seats. Mm-hmm. Uh, the state of Connecticut is at risk of losing another uh, congressional seat based on the population count. That's not to say that a full and complete count guarantees that that seat will remain. But what it is to say is that uh, a count that is incomplete, that is inaccurate, heightens the prospects of losing that congressional seat. So again, I would be I would be surprised if anyone could point to some significant aspect of our life, of our daily living that isn't impacted by the census and could make a case as to why we shouldn't be making what in relative terms is a minuscule investment. Uh, let's say we get to the three and a half million. That's a minuscule investment to ensure that you get upwards of 10 plus billion dollars for the next 10 years. I can't think of any rationalization why that shouldn't be a priority. Uh, When you mentioned uh, Connecticut could lose another congressional uh, seat if there's not an accurate count, that gets people's attention. But also uh, these um, uh, population numbers are used to draw uh, the the state state elected uh, positions. And so if communities are undercounted, they're going to be underrepresented at the Capitol, Joan. that That is correct. And that's why every time that I speak with someone and I ask them, do you know about the census? Do you know how important it is to complete the census? And you have to stop and educate them and let them know how important it is. That's that's an individual at a time. So it is a collaborative effort. Um, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm going to in terms of uh, this lawsuit that the state of Connecticut's facing from the NAACP, this idea that uh, prisoners are counted where they are imprisoned and not in their home communities, often urban communities. You know, has the Hispanic Health Council, um, you know, what is your take on the fact that these prison gerrymandering uh, still happens? Uh, it is, uh, I, I would call it that it is unfair in, in, in some aspects because uh, Harvard receives a lot of uh, person that are being released from prison and they're being counted at a different location and then when they come to our community they are using the resources that are currently allocated and barely sometimes there's none and when when that happens it, we are still underrepresented because the prisoners are counted at, a, at another location but they are coming back to the communities where they used to live used to play used to go to school and their families are there so it is an interesting topic <laughs> and uh, Jay Williams, before uh, we head to break, uh, again, you're partnering with organizations like uh, the Hispanic Health Council. Uh, can you tell us about some of the more of the work that you'll be doing uh, besides matching, again, uh, what the state wants to put in, which is $500,000? Absolutely. So we will be convening organizations to discuss this. Uh, we will be using the training tools and the capacity building tools that we have to help organizations become more effective and more impactful. Uh, we will continue to uh, lift our voice. And I think the fact that we have collaborated 
collaborated with uh, five or six other community foundations across the state. And remember, we cover 29 towns in central Connecticut. So it is a significant part of the state, but it's not the entirety of the state. Mm -hmm. So putting our voices together with other community foundations across the state, utilizing our financial resources, utilizing our convening power, our capacity building together, uh, in addition to the public policy voice that we can lend, uh, we think that's important because at the end of the day, while we uh, are certainly concerned about uh, our ability to help impact this in our region, uh, this is a statewide issue. And because it's an issue of statewide concern, uh, we think it becomes a, a priority between now uh, and the end of the census. Jay Williams is president of the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. He's going to stick around. But I want to thank Joan Cruz, director of special projects for the Hispanic Health Council. And Joan, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. After the break, Connecticut, as we heard, relies on billions of federal dollars. So what exactly is the state doing to make sure it gets an accurate census count? Lieutenant Governor Susan Beisowitz will join us, and you can too, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. So how do you think the Connecticut governor is doing? On the next Where We Live, we're going to sit down with Governor Ned Lamont, who's been in office for one year. We're going to ask him his priorities for the state in 2020. And if you have a question, we also want to hear from you. You can join our conversation on air and on Facebook Live. That's tomorrow here on Where We Live. Now, we're focusing on the census today. In a couple of months, you'll likely see the census form in the mail. And census takers will also be fanning out in communities to get more residents to answer the federal questionnaire, especially in communities that are often undercounted. Now, it's important to get an accurate count because billions of dollars in federal dollars uh, come into Connecticut. And without an accurate count, uh, not enough money uh, comes into the state. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Susan Beisowitz is overseeing the state's complete count committee. She's joining us now by phone. Lieutenant Governor Bysowitz, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Lucy. Uh, we have also have in studio with me uh, Jay Williams, president of the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. Uh, they put in 500000 The state's matching another 500000 but that's still far below what's recommended uh, in terms of what states should be doing for census outreach. So, Lieutenant Governor Bysowitz, uh, what is the state doing exactly? Well, the state is doing more than I believe any other state in the country, uh, according not to me, but to officials from the U.S. Census Bureau who've praised Connecticut for being uh, the best organized uh, state in the country. I will tell you that what we did was to start early in February of 2019, we formed a statewide complete count committee that has uh, more than 100 organizations that are part of that. Uh, so we have a statewide organization that includes the AFL-CIO with over 200,000 members. It includes uh, large chambers of commerce, the NAACP, uh, Latino organizations, and many more. Uh, and in addition, at the local level where uh, this work really happens uh, in a grassroots way, more than 110 municipalities have formed 
local complete count committees and are working at a municipal hmm. level. Well, so, uh, Lieutenant Governor Bicewitz, it sounds it's a good good that the uh, the state has this committee and it's working with uh, certain organizations. But you know, other states uh, like Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, their general assemblies are putting in money to help get an accurate count. I don't believe Connecticut's done that yet. Yes, they have. Connecticut has uh, is putting forward five hundred thousand uh, dollars to match what the Hartford Foundation and their partner uh, groups are putting in. And this is a first for Connecticut because we've never uh, allocated resources. And it is important to Connecticut because almost $11 billion came to Connecticut last year for um, programs like Medicaid and SNAP and federal school lunch programs. And in addition... Uh, the Connecticut Childhood Alliance uh, is putting $40,000 in, and they are being matched and with $150,000 uh, by uh, another organization. So we are being uh, extremely creative, and um, we're being creative with our resources. But that money's not coming from the Connecticut General Assembly. No. $500,000 is coming from state government to be matched with another $500,000 and in addition, um, $150,000 from another source because the governor and I believe in public-private partnerships and we are so appreciative of what Jay Williams and other uh, nonprofit partners have done with us. Uh, Jay Williams is in studio with me. Uh, Jay, I believe the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, uh, you spoke uh, before a legislative committee last session about the importance, again, of of funding this adequately. Uh, what happened with that bill? We did. Good, well, first of all, good morning, Lieutenant Governor Bice. It was good to be with you again. Good morning, Jay. And the uh, collaboration that has occurred between the community foundation across the state that I alluded to has has allowed us to arrive to this point. And I certainly also want to uh, acknowledge the very important efforts that Lieutenant Governor Bysowitz described in terms of having the complete count committees, in terms of getting an early start uh, with those organizations across the street, uh, across the state. That being said, uh, there was a bill proposed, uh, I believe, by one of the representatives, might have been Representative Jason Rojas, uh, last year uh, that uh, was seeking to allocate upwards of $3 million dollars. Uh, to uh, this effort. I don't believe that that bill made it out of committee. It certainly didn't make it uh, to the floor for a vote, and that's unfortunate. So um, as Lieutenant Governor Bicewitz pointed out, these organizations uh, are exceptionally important, but they also require the resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to the notion of public-private partnerships, which are uh, a great priority across the state, and we've seen leadership on that. Uh, we do still think that based on the report that was issued by Connecticut Voices for Children, uh, who has been a leading advocate and a leading voice on this, uh, that while a half million from the state uh, matched with a half million from uh, a collective uh, group of community foundations is a good start, uh, there is still time and hopeful. Uh, we are hopeful that the General Assembly will take the steps that are necessary to provide some additional funding toward this effort. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Susan Bicewitz, again, I mentioned that you're heading up the Complete Count Committee in the state. Again, uh, partnerships with all of these uh, local organizations to get an accurate count. But uh, would you like to see the General Assembly uh, address this issue to try to uh, allocate more money towards this effort? Uh, Absolutely. 
and uh, there is still time, but the timeline is tight because in March, in mid-March, what will happen is the Census Bureau will send postcards to every household in the country, and people will get the address online where they can fill out the census online. And this is something uh, that has never been done before. This is the first census since 1790 that can be completed online. And then people should know if they have not completed the census form online by April, then they will receive the paper form in the mail. If they don't complete the paper form by mail or call the 800 number, which also is new this year, that you can uh, complete the form over the phone with the Census Bureau, then you will have an enumerator at your door uh, in May or June. So I do want people to understand that this online capability and uh, the opportunity to call an 800 number if you have trouble filling out paper forms or it's difficult for you to do online, that there are other options. And I think that's really important to point out, Lucy. Mm. You mentioned that the timeline is tight to get the General Assembly to allocate more funds, but aren't they meeting later this month? And I believe the session begins February 5th. Uh, Is this on the radar of lawmakers? Uh, I do believe it is because uh, Chris Rosario, state representative from Bridgeport, uh, Denise Merrill, our Secretary of the State, and... Representative Pat Wilson Senius are people who are our three co-chairs on the Complete Count Committee. So it is oh, on oh, are you there? January, Go ahead. <laughs> January twenty-fifth in Haiti, the Black and Puerto Rican Caucus and the Hispanic Caucus of Connecticut and the NAACP and other organizations are hosting a hard to count summit in New Haven at Gateway Community College from 9 a.m. to noon. So legislators are participating in this, and they are very much uh, aware of the importance of funding for the census. Jay Williams. Lucy, Hansi Luong pointed out an interesting statistic in your first segment when he said that already the census officials are expecting that 40 percent of the um, people are expected not to respond to the census uh, visa Uh, the online or using the telephone, that there is an expectation that 40% of the people will need to be engaged in person. Um, So I hope that the the legislature would recognize that, that because of upwards of a quarter of the census tracts in the state of Connecticut are hard to count uh, with an expectation of 40% of the uh, respondents needing to be engaged in person, that they would see that as an important priority uh, to allocate those resources. And, And again, as the lieutenant governor pointed out, There are already uh, mechanisms on the ground across the state, in municipalities, in the rural areas to do that. So to be able to provide those uh, groups and those organizations with adequate resources uh, that would be in addition to what philanthropy has provided, in addition to the half million dollars that the lieutenant governor has led, uh, the state legislature, I hope, sees this as a priority. Because, again, we're talking about the receipt of 10 plus billion dollars a year over the next decade when you have one chance to get this right. So a $3.5 million investment to help ensure 
10 plus billion dollars over the next 10 years seems like a pretty uh, a pretty reasonable uh, approach to take. Jay, you've mentioned this Connecticut Voices report uh, in it. Uh, Massachusetts is putting up five times as much in public funds as Connecticut. New York State putting up as much as 40 times as much as uh, what Connecticut's putting forth. Uh, again, Lieutenant uh, Governor Susan Beisowitz, uh, um, it would be important to have more resources coming from the state of Connecticut towards this effort. Uh, in the meantime, uh, something that might get people's attention is the idea if this uh, count is inaccurate, Connecticut could lose another congressional seat. And that is exactly why uh, the governor put me in charge of the complete count committee at the state level, because we are 48th in the country in terms of what our residents give to the federal government in taxes and what we get back in resources. So we want to maximize those federal resources. At the same time, we want to count every person in our state because we want to keep as much political representation as we can. And the best way to do that is to count every person. I do want to mention, Lucy, that the United States Census Bureau wants to hire 21,000 people in Connecticut for part-time work between March and June. And as of January 2nd, the Census Bureau has boosted the $21 an hour rate that people uh, would receive. And now it is uh, $23.50 per hour for areas outside of Fairfield County and New Haven County. So these are really good paying jobs. And if people are interested in applying for those, they should go to 2020census.gov backslash jobs because this is a really nice opportunity for people to uh, get part-time work uh, if they are interested. Well, I want to thank, again, Lieutenant Governor Susan Bysowitz for joining us. Uh, she was heading up the Complete Count Committee. Uh, we thank you for your time, and we'll look to see if the Connecticut General Assembly allocates more money towards this effort. Thank you. Thank you so much. I also want to thank uh, Jay Williams, again, president of the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving. Again, uh, the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving put in $500,000. The state matched that. Again, it's well under what uh, a state of this size needs uh, to get an accurate count. So we'll stay tuned, see what happens at the Capitol. Thank you, Lucy. And again, I want to acknowledge those other community foundations that helped for that half million. Jay, thank you. Uh, today's show produced by Panina Beattie and Carmen Baskoff. Our technical producer is Kyone Wolf. And don't forget, Governor Ned Lamont will be in our studio tomorrow to take your questions uh, on air and on Facebook Live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening. <laughs>